Hey everyone, and welcome to your friendly neighborhood atheist. I am Ethan Michael, and alongside me is my guest uh, for the evening, a Mr. Dean Meadows. Dean, how are you? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, good to be on your show again. It's been a quick minute since the last time I was on. It has been a while, but this time is exciting because now it truly is me and you one-on-one -on -one, in the squared circle. I, I have no atheist reinforcements this time. In, in, a, in a discussion is <laughs> in what you said. <laughs> no, I, you know, this originally, uh, just so everyone's aware, I originally wanted to try debating again. So uh, I had billed this as a debate, but if you hadn't noticed, I changed the flyer and changed the title. Uh, the more I learned, the more I realized I don't know enough. And, you know, being completely transparent, I don't know if I can handle Dean in a debate, but, you know, we'll see. So that right now, this is just a conversation on the topic, does God exist? So, Dean, if you could, though, to start us off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, currently, I'm the executive director of the 501c3 organization, The Daily Apologist where essentially we seek to uh, utilize social media and streaming platforms to present apologetics. Um, prior to that, I was a minister for eight years at two different congregations. Um, prior to that, I attended the Bear Valley Bible Institute International in Denver, Colorado uh, for my, I guess you could call seminary training. I've got a master's from Biola this past year, and uh, that's just kind of my academic work history. I served in the Marine Corps for six years with a deployment to Iraq. Um, and then, I guess from a Christian standpoint, I became a Christian when I was uh, 15, 15, 16, right around that area. Um, really didn't question it. And then when I went to Iraq, started to have some serious doubts um, or questions, I guess I could say questions towards the end of my deployment and determined that when I came back home that I was going to uh, look at that stuff. So I enrolled in uh, college at Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia, where I originally grew up. Um, and so for the first pretty much a year outside of studies, I picked up, um, what was it? The God Delusion by Dawkins. I picked up, um, what else? Um, God is Not Great by Hitchens. Read some Bertrand Russell. Uh, who else? Um, I don't know who else off the top of my head, but um, and figured that those at, at that moment, that's when I really started to doubt because I thought that, you know, Dawkins and Hitchens. Oh, Sam Harris. I read um, The End of Faith, A Letter to a Christian Nation. Um, read Dawkins, Hitchens, Dennett, The Four Horsemen. Um, and was just like, OK, these are I believe these are really good arguments. So I I was interested to see what the other side or what my side, I guess you could say the Christian side had looked at some, um, 
who was it? Sorry, I'm trying to blank. Oh, yeah, Lee Strobel wasn't overly convinced by Strobel. I thought that Strobel could tell a good story, but I don't know that I would say that Strobel was as rigorous as I was looking for in argumentation. And then that's when, uh, what was that? Oh yeah. So I saw some debates by a guy by the name of William Lane Craig. And I watched a multitude of those where he was debating, um, some of the, the top atheists. And then I went back and read some of his stuff, read him. Uh, JP Moreland was another guy that I read. Okay. And essentially, you know, came to the determination that Christianity was true. And then probably, I'd say three years ago, I decided to venture into the apologetics realm and get a formal degree in it. So there you go. That's my you got life, quite the background there, Dean. Life life story in the cliff notes right there. So um, yeah, for yeah. those for those watching. Um, if you do have any questions for Dean or I, uh, make sure you tag me. So then towards the end of the show, I can scroll back and see who's tagged me and ask the questions. I won't be as active in the comments section today because I need to be focused on the person standing in front of me right now. So, Dean, uh, first off, what specifically uh, made you Christian before we get into the, the arguments for God? Um, so are we talking like initially made me Christian? I would say the initial thing that made me a Christian wasn't necessarily any formal, um, argumentation. Um, I would say that it was more along the lines of, I was going to a specific church in a specific denomination that I'll keep anonymous, you know, for the sake of anybody else who's there. Um, one of the, one of the mainline popular denominations in America. And, you know, uh, I started having questions about, you know, is this really what Christianity is supposed to look like? So it wasn't this, is it true? I had just presupposed that it was true. And then I asked the question, is this really what Christianity um is supposed to look like and i started actually reading you know uh my my bible and so i i found that what i was looking at and what was being practiced in everyday life was um uh just didn't add up and i was like well i just want to find out um what's true here within the scope of Christianity. So I really started looking at that and I left that and went uh, to a congregation that I thought was there, learned a whole new, a whole bunch of new stuff about Christianity and, and obeyed from that point on. So, okay. Well, you know, well, Dean, uh, if we could get started, uh, do you want to start with the Kalam or what, what would be the best argument for God that you would like to start with? Right. Um, well, let's. I, I'm trying to be. I, I want to be super sarcastic right now and say they're Go all ahead. good. <laughs> you can be as sarcastic and uh, as um, you, you can put my feet to the fire at as hard as you like. No, that's that's fine. Um, 
You know, I, I don't think that it's necessarily one argument that um, makes Christianity true. I think it's a key, like, and I know that it might come across as a buzzword, but it, it genuinely is a cumulative case for uh, the existence of God. I think, um, you know, right out of the gate, my personal favorite is obviously the Kalam. I don't know if that's the most convincing, but we can start there. Um Kalam says that whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. So regarding that first premise, um, from my understanding of it, I would uh, object to it. Just because while everything I've seen has a cause, I I can't for certain say that everything does have a cause. Mm -hmm. Well... Um, I think there, there would be things that, um, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily things exist that I think that may not have causes, but the, the first premise, I think that's where we're off here already on the first premise is that it's not whatever exists has a cause. It's whatever begins to exist, uh, has a cause. So I think that's the first place that I would maybe push back a little bit. And I think it, I think it's simply the uh, metaphysical principle, a piece, the study of reality okay. that um, out of nothing, uh, nothing comes. It's what's called the causal principle in metaphysics. And so I think uh, if you push back on the first premise, then you would have to demonstrate how something could come from nothing. And I don't think that that's. Oh, I can't. Possible. I'm not saying I can demonstrate that. And right. I'm even saying that that's, you know, a uh, possible, I, I'm just saying I, without being able to, I guess, verify that everything specifically has a cause, sorry, uh, whatever begins to exist has a cause. I can't really accept that statement. So you can't accept the statement that whatever begins to exist has a cause? No, because again, I I can't observe and I have no way to test everything that has ever began to exist. In particular, I have right. no way to see how the universe began. Well, I think be- you I think you could at least appeal to the uniformity of nature, right? I don't think I don't know that any scientist has shown or I think scientists have clearly demonstrated that things that begin to exist have a cause. I don't know of a scientist that has demonstrated that something could uh, begin to exist without a cause. So we, you're a, you're a scientific minded fellow. I hope so. Um, Yeah, (laughs) no, you are. So where there's overwhelming evidence for, as far as we know, in the uniformity of the world and nature, Things begin. Things that begin to exist have a cause. That seems to be scientifically verified, verified, and not falsified. Also, I would appeal to my everyday experience as well. Right, as we're sitting here right now, you're not worried that once the show's over with and you walk out of the room, that um, you know a black grizzly bear is going to, you know, come into being, just materialize <laughs> and then maul you to death. Right? Uh, you not worried about that. Um, no, uh, of course I'm not worried. And again, I, I don't 
think in this, and, and I don't want to misrepresent you, but it sounds like you're trying to place the the burden on me because I'm simply not accepting the first premise, and I'm not making a positive claim that it is possible. I'm just saying until I can actually see, you know, every example um, that everything began to exist having a cause. I, I'm having why, I guess my question is why do you need to see absolutely positively every example? How much how much scientific data would you need to see to be convinced that it seems like you're saying that in order for me to believe the first premise of the Kalam, I need to see every single scientific piece of data that's both available and not available in order to believe that whatever begins to exist uh, has a cause that that seems a little that seems like radical skepticism to me. Okay, you're uh, I, I don't want to call it radical skepticism, but I, I, I get where you're going. Uh, I guess how can we test or prove that something cannot uh, come from nothing or cannot erupt from nothing? Do we have a way to actually conclusively investigate that and then narrow it out as a possibility? Um, I think that there are, there would be some models of the universe that could be, um, simulated that would say, all right, well, this is how you would get a universe from, uh, from nothing. And, and Lawrence Krauss proposes that in his book, a universe from nothing, I think back in 2013 and 2014, but it's been, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, it's been, uh, a, astronomical failure on Krauss's part. I mean, he even uh, tries to do that in his book. So, um, I mean, I, I I just see the first principle, the causal principle that, you know, I think it was Aristotle that said it, that from nothing, nothing comes. So I, I still think you have a, a burden of proof to say, if you're if you're going to deny the first premise, and you're going to say, I don't think that the first premise is true, and then your reasoning is, well, I haven't seen, or or I don't have a way to know that every single thing that's ever come into existence has a cause, or or something to the matter of what you said. I I don't understand why you why you couldn't go on what we currently know, even if you went inductively. Um, as an inductive inference to the best explanation and say, hey, as far as we know and as far as we experience nature and as far as we experience life, this is the way things work until proven otherwise. I don't understand why that's unreasonable. Oh, I'm not saying, so I'm not saying it's unreasonable. I, right. I'm okay. not willing to uh, accept it without more information. Like, it well, is, what information would you be looking for? I guess is my question. I guess we would need a way to investigate nothing. Do we have and that you know of, and you're probably more well versed in this area than I am? Do we have a way that we can investigate nothing, or do we have an example of nothing? I think I think when you say nothing, nothing is no thing there are no properties to nothing and so in that sense that's why i think the first premise holds is because um 
I think that's why the first premise holds because nothing can't do anything, right? So you can't have something from absolute nothing. So I think but that's, that's the issue from that? your perspective, right? How do we know that without actually being able to look at it? Because it, it sounds like you're, you're saying we already conclusively know that something can't erupt from nothing. Right, correct. Have an example of nothing to. Why do I need? Why do I need some empirical? I guess uh, another way that I would tackle this would be: Why do I need an empirical data point with regards to this? I mean, uh, to be frank, I find that, and I'm I'm don't want to be overly harsh to you, but I find that absurd that that we have to have access to nothing when nothing literally it means no thing. Why couldn't we just, you know, why couldn't we just say logically? Uh, in some type of deductive argument that uh, this is the case, right? Why, why couldn't we say from just a logical standpoint, Aristotle's right. I think it's Aristotle. Out of nothing, nothing comes. That's a logical uh, conclusion that's sound. Um, that seems to be the correct way to go. Why do we need a an empirical data point? That seems to be saying that like, in all aspects, science is king. Well, I, I don't, I guess, why would I not rely on science? Like, I don't want to say science is king, but why would I not rely on that? Well, well, all the, all the science points to whatever beginning, whatever begins to exist has a cause and the scientific data doesn't show anything materializing from nothing even if you wanted to say um uh well no i don't necessarily know that that would be the the right point but yeah science would show that things don't come from nothing like nothing has no properties you understand that right like it can't metabolize it can't reproduce it it can't nothing nothing can explode from nothing or or something can't explode from nothing that's just an assertion though. You're just, you're just stating that you can't necessarily prove that. Okay. All right. Go grab me some nothing. And then I I can't grab nothing because is everything. So, so then it seems like the first premise holds then. No, because you're just, you're just saying, well, uh, this does not sound plausible. So therefore, um, uh, therefore, uh, the first premise is sound, and I I, I I I don't get that because unless we have an example of nothing to to test this, why would we just? I don't want to say like, why would we just assert that something can come can't come from nothing? Okay, okay, it seems like you're you're talking out of two sides here. First, you're saying, okay. first you're saying I need a, a data point to investigate no thing right okay so if no thing is no thing then you couldn't get to a data point number one but then you're saying on the second side of the argument um that for me to say out of nothing nothing comes that that's just some type of assertion and that's not just an assertion that that's a logical conclusion with regards to the definition, to the thing, to this uh, definition of nothing. And then secondly, I'm not just 
baldly asserting things. I'm saying, hey, the scientific data shows that whatever begins to exist has a cause and that our everyday experience, uh, unless we have an, unless we have a defeater for those everyday experiences shows us also that things don't come into existence without a cause. Can you, I mean, so on one hand, you see the, the quandary that I'm laying out here on one side, you're saying I need a data point for nothing. And then on the other point, other side, you're saying, well, I'm just asserting things. And I'm simply replying by saying, out of nothing, nothing comes. That's a, I, I'm pretty sure that that's a logically tight argument. And then on the second side, I'm saying I'm not just baldly asserting things. I'm saying that scientific data and our everyday experience show that the first premise is true. But I, I, again, okay. <laughs> let me. Sorry, I'm. I, I, let Let me uh, think. That's about okay. That a second. Um. If let me okay, let me try this another way. If I'm trying to formulate my words as best as I can here, okay. Um, if we cannot, like, okay, uh, a few moments ago, you had said that we science has concluded that everything has a cause. Is is that? correct the science states that whatever begins to exist has a cause that's the, the first the premise or the kalam that's the first premise to the kalam and i also think that science would demonstrate that as well that whatever begins to exist has a cause so science can demonstrate that everything we can test has a cause from my understanding but i don't think it can conclusively say everything has a cause, particularly when we're talking uh, about the birth of the universe. I mean, we are still so far, like we have so much to learn and to progress as a species. So to just assume that the universe can't come from nothing. I'm not assuming that I'm saying show. Okay. Well then if the universe can come from nothing, then show me a or or cite me um, a scientific model that produces a universe from nothing. Why would I need to if I'm simply not accepting your premise? I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, if I was saying you're wrong and uh, n- something can come from nothing, then I would agree that I would need to demonstrate that and, and show you scientific data. But again, I'm not stating that. I don't even know that that's possible. But until we have a way to look into it, I don't see any reason why I should accept that premise. Um, particularly because when we look at the, the birth of the universe time from my understanding uh can can break down so then how do we know when it actually uh uh began okay so now we're it seems like we're getting into the second premise of the column okay not the first premise okay we can so 
so that's fine. If you want to move on to the second one, we can we can move on to the second one because we still have what two more arguments to go. Yeah, we should really <laughs> something like that. As long as you know that I do not accept the first premise. That's I I I don't have a problem with you not accepting the first premise. I I don't necessarily know that I came into the discussion expecting you to agree with me on every point that we make. Um, so second premise is that um, the universe began to exist. That's okay. the second premise of the Kalam cosmological argument. And so um, the way that I guess Craig builds his argument is, is from, uh, I mean, there's a multiple, uh, some philosophical arguments and then some, uh, I guess you would say scientific arguments that he makes as well. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, I personally don't have, uh, uh, an issue with, uh, premise two, although, I still seem like, uh, can you, can you say it back to me one more time? It's whatever. The universe has a cause. Uh, okay. I'll go premise one and premise two. Whatever begins to exist has a cause, whatever, uh, or the universe began to exist is the second premise. So whatever begins to exist has a cause premise two, the universe began to exist. Okay. So the universe began to exist. I, right. Uh, I, at this time don't have an issue with that. Okay. So you agree that premise two is true? Or is that what you mean by I don't have an issue with it? Uh, yeah, I would. I, 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 I guess I'm having trouble with begins, but I don't. I'm talking about premise two. The universe began to exist. Right, Meaning okay. that there's a finite point in the past in which the universe came into being. Do we know the exact point at which it came into being? Do I have to know the exact point when something came into being to know that it exists or, or had a beginning? Like, I don't know the exact point when you came into being, but I know that given a study of you, that there was a point in the finite past where you came into being. Right. So, okay. How do we know that this, I guess, universe, uh, you know, began to exist? Right. So, the way that I would frame it is I don't know with a hundred percent certainty, a lot of things. And I think that you and I would agree with that. Absolutely. Right. So the question is which arguments are more, are more plausible is the premise that I'm putting forward more plausible than the negation, meaning uh, is the existence of the universe uh, or the beginning of the universe more plausible than an eternal universe, given the data that we know? And what I, how I would argue premise two is that it is more plausible, and I would even say maybe more probable, that the universe began to exist than it being eternal for philosophical and scientific reasons. So why would you, I guess, why would you say it's more likely? Because I guess where I'm confused is we don't have any examples of other universes. So right. 
now it sounds like, okay, because we have experiences with like, for example, human beings coming into existence and plants coming into existence that we're taking that and applying it to the birth of the universe. When we are, you know, we have no way to, to look into that. How, how do um, we? Okay. So, yeah. So the analogy, I was simply trying to point out in the analogy that I don't have to know when something comes into being to know that it came into being right. Or that it's more probable than not that it came into being and had a beginning. That's all I'm trying to, to show. Like, I don't know specifically when you came into existence. Right. right? Um, but if I were a complete stranger, um, I could do a study on you or study on something else that is foreign to me and simply say, okay, well, based upon the data that I have, this thing, it's possible that Ethan Michael has been around for all of eternity, right? It's possible. That would be cool. Right. Um, But it's not probable given the data. So that's all I'm saying when it comes to um, the universe. So the reason that I would say that the universe in it's more probable than not that the universe had a beginning um, stems really from, I would say a couple of philosophical arguments. Um, I don't know if I want to get in the weeds on those. Um, I guess about the, I don't know if I want to get into the weeds on that. Let me talk about the scientific data then first. Okay. And if you want to go back and say, Hey, let's get into the weeds. We can, I guess um, my main question here is it seems I I get where you're you're going that uh, because we have all these examples of things coming into existence, that it's probable that the universe came into existence. But where I'm, I guess, hesitant is we've never observed the beginning of a universe or any universe right. at least from my understanding and if i'm if i'm wrong please correct me no i Why would we apply um logic like the birth of a human being or a plant to right. to equate it to the birth of the universe right so i'm not equating it to the birth of the universe i think that's where you might be missing the analogy i'm simply saying um I'm simply trying to make the point that just because I don't observe something coming into being doesn't mean that I can't um, reason to the best explanation that it did come into being and that it's not eternal. So, for instance, um, if I went out and I observed, I I was in a place that I... uh, had no exposure to trees. I lived in the desert all my life. And then I, and then I moved somewhere to say like Europe or whatever. And the first thing that I ever saw was a tree. I could collect scientific data points in which I said, Hey, this thing could be eternal, but given the evidence that I have in all probability and all plausibility, this thing had a beginning um, at a finite point in the past, even if I didn't see that plant go from seed to tree. 
Does that make sense? And yes. To the ground. So all I'm saying is that just because we don't observe other universes coming into being uh, doesn't mean that um, I can't assemble data points that seem to indicate that the universe uh, came into being. Yeah, I, I get uh, why, why you're coming to that conclusion. And I, again, agree it's probable. But I, I And I hate to do this to you, Dean, but I'm actually going to have to retract my earlier statement. I'm not okay. going to accept premise two. Um, and I, 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 Hey, one, one second, Ethan, I'm sorry to yeah. cut it short. My, I'm not leaving, but I just heard my dad scream. I gotta go check up on him. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Uh, in, in the meantime, thank you, uh, to my patrons, Cindy Plaza, Trina DeLuca, Kenneth Letter, Kathy Leto, uh, Ian Davidport and blazing wizard Pope and best name. You guys are awesome. If you like what I'm doing, consider becoming a patron. And also if you could, uh, like and subscribe. Uh, I hope everyone, by the way, I haven't had a chance to say hi to everybody. Hi, IQ, uh, Kathy Leto, Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo, I know you love the uh, Kalam, so this is just for you. Uh, Larry the Christian, always a pleasure to see you. Um, oh, Kathy, I got to make you a mod. I can't believe I didn't do that. What's up, Brainbug? Brainbug is going to be on the show uh, this coming Tuesday, and we're going to be talking about aliens and supernatural claims and that's going to be at 6 30 actually after the show uh tonight uh, let me just take dean off screen for the time being after the show tonight on uh my other channel why if any news i'm going to be interviewing a police officer and we're going to be talking about defunding the police which i'm uh, pretty excited about um anyways you know i'm do most people accept premise two because i feel like i've seen other atheists accept that and i'm i'm having trouble here and maybe i'm incorrect or not 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 thinking about this right but to me without an example of a universe like coming into existence at, at a specific time it's hard for me to just accept that the universe began to exist but please let me uh let me know what what uh uh what you what what yeah well, i can't talk what your thoughts are um and oh hi sj nice to see you and a friendly reminder possibility and probability need to be demonstrated that's a good point um and for those that are just tuning in we did change this from a a debate to a basic conversation on this topic uh so far we're stuck on premise two of the kalam i don't accept e either of them um yeah i i maybe at this point we should i guess move on to the next premise or the ontological and i uh kenneth leonard actually earlier uh, or a few weeks ago he sent me uh, a really good rebuttal for the ontological argument and i uh, it's confusing the, these, these long, um, I guess what I'm wondering, and I'm going to have to ask Dean this is have any of these arguments ever convinced somebody because I, I can't really picture someone hearing that and going, yeah, you know, I, I now believe God 
uh, God exists. Are you you telling everybody that you don't know if anybody's ever been convinced by these arguments? That's correct. Nice. I caught the tour the uh, end of it, so I figured that's what was going on. So all right. So um, we're thirty six minutes in. Do you want to move on to the third premise? Um, or should we move on to uh, we, we, the resurrection we or the end? Um, but we'll we'll spend probably the most. I mean, we'll probably eat up a bunch of time talking third premise. I think if you want, we can talk about it if you're going to have an after party or something like that. I don't know. Um, okay. I mean, if you're down, yeah, I have till about 8.40. I got about probably another hour uh, and a half. So if if anyone would like to do an after party and come on and talk to me and Dean, uh, let me know. We we got about 24 minutes left. And I we see in the comments that SJ doesn't think the ontological argument's convincing. I'd Ooh. love to talk to SJ about that at some point. Oh, so. no, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Thank you, SJ. So, um, let's so, so so let's go ahead. I'll talk um, resurrection I, for a quick minute. If that's okay. Sure. Before we get to the resurrection, I do. I cannot believe I forgot to ask this. And uh, um, let's say right now I accept all three premises. Yeah. Since the conclusion isn't God, um, and God is nowhere in there, how does the Kalam get you to God? Right. So this seems to be a classic, um, and this isn't, I'm not, I'm not laying this on you. Don't hear me lay this on you, but this, this is one of those things. I remember when Homer Simpson used to say that really grinds my gears or somebody to say that, I don't know if it was from family guy or, or, uh, the Simpsons, but this is, this is the one that really kind of grinds my gears because everybody that I've come across that's in the atheist community. Well, not everybody. Some seem to think that because God's not mentioned in the premises that somehow um, the Kalam isn't designed to get somebody to God. It's called the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of God. So you take the first three premises to eliminate all the extras or the first two premises to eliminate all the extra stuff. And sometimes what atheists will do, they'll say, well, here's Kalam proper and here's like Kalam extended. But if you look at the literature by uh, William Lane Craig, if you look at the literature by Al-Ghazali from uh, the the Middle Ages, they don't make this distinction. And Craig's the originator of the current form of the Kalam. And all Craig does is he takes the third premise and he does conceptual analysis with the third premise, which just about which a lot of philosophical arguments do. So it's not like he's going outside the bounds of philosophy to, to do that. So um, I, I, that's just my qualm uh, with it, but we don't need to spend too much time on it. But, but what you need to know is that it, it also doesn't follow logically that just because God's not in the premise or any of the premise doesn't mean that uh, it's not referencing to an argument for the existence of God. So uh, move on to the and Kenneth Leonard is right, though there are some pes- pesky atheists. Uh, those, <laughs> yeah, we're all pesky. I, you know, we just never mind. I was gonna say, we don't want to be you're about to go something, you're about to go sarcastic, and that's I know I was about to go sarcastic and I, I, I bit my tongue. <laughs> um, okay, so the resurrection now, right. I will 
for the sake of this discussion. Now, granted, I want to be very clear. I have not done uh, enough research to make a uh, positive or negative claim uh, on if Jesus, uh, the human, did exist. However, for this discussion, I am going to accept that uh, Jesus was at least a real person. Right. Uh, go ahead. Gotcha. Okay, that's perfectly uh, okay. I'll, for the sake of this conversation, uh, accept that Jesus was a real person as well, even though I absolutely believe that he that he was. So, um, how much how much time do you have? Sorry, you have until when? I just want to know oh, how. I, mean, I technically have like forty. But uh, if you want to do an after party, uh, maybe we should, you know, end it in about twenty minutes. Okay, that's that's part. fine. So um, basically, the argument from the resurrection. Uh, there's multiple ways that people can approach it. Um, you know, I think uh, Lydia and Tim McGrew, and I think Jonathan McClatchy would go maximal data approach, whereas someone like. Mike Lacona, Gary Habermas um, would go minimal facts, and then uh, William Lane Craig doesn't say that he that he does a a minimal facts. He does I don't I don't know what he calls it, but he doesn't call it minimal facts. I personally like the minimal facts approach um, just because I find that the easiest for my brain to handle. Um, if we could, though, real quick, sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to say I'm. Uh, Sorry about your son, and I really hope you know his symptoms stay mild and he gets better, and no one else in your family gets COVID. Oh, she's. Did you say SJ? Yeah, her uh, her son, um, unfortunately, uh, has uh, COVID, and they're in quarantine. That's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that, SJ. Definitely, uh, best wishes wishes from your friendly neighborhood atheist. No doubt. Okay. Um, man, that's just like a buzzkill <laughs> right there. Uh, so how, how much or where do you want to go with, um, with the resurrection? Well, here, let's do it like this. I pretend I know nothing. And you, um, <laughs> there's an example of nothing. I, I know nothing. <laughs> right. Um, Right. Um, so let's try and make me a believer, because if if Jesus of Nazareth was not only just a real person, but the son of God, that would be, uh, you know, uh, pretty convincing for me. So uh, bring me to your side, Dean. OK, so first thing that we want to um, I guess that that we want to establish is things that that you and I could both agree on. Um, and I, I think one of those things, you know, given the sake of the argument, um, would would be something like, all right, Jesus died by crucifixion. That would be something I think both if Jesus existed, which you've granted, then you might be able to say that he died by crucifixion. Okay. Would you yeah. be willing like, to see that? For sa sa sake of argument, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. A living person died via crucifixion. Okay, so the second piece, now this is where I, I want 
the audience to pay close attention to is specifically what I'm claiming because sometimes it gets misconstrued. Okay. Um, so shortly after Jesus's death, the disciples believed that's the key word. They believed that Jesus appeared uh, to them uh, risen from the dead. That's the second point that they okay. believed that they had this type of um, experience. Okay. Um, I would find because we have no example of anyone like resurrecting from the dead that I've seen, I would be, I feel the more likely conclusion would be that they, if they believe they saw him, that it probably wasn't him. Um, I mean, we have eyewitness accounts of people who see, you know, Tupac and, and Elvis. So we're going back 2000 years when people were incredibly superstitious and gullible. I mean, these were people that not only didn't know where the sun went at night, but they thought, you know, magicians were actually, or illusionists were real magicians. And I, I would find that going back that far, that people would be not only more global, but less, less credible. So I, I would personally have trouble accepting that uh, they saw what they think they saw. Okay. Well, I'm not, and, and that's where I wanted to make the, the distinction in premise two. I'm not claiming that they, um, at least in the premise two, premise two says that they believed that they saw these things, not that they actually did. They believe that they saw these things. So someone believes that they saw Tupac doesn't mean that they actually did, right? So I'm just saying after Jesus' death, these disciples believed that they saw him, right? Huh. Um, I'm not saying in premise two specifically. I'm going to make a cumulative case that their belief is justified, right? But I'm simply saying... Okay. They believe that they had this experience where they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Now, it seems it seems um, it seems to me that you may be making a genetic fallacy in the sense that um, you're saying, "Well, this is two thousand years ago. This is the type of culture that they had." Yada yada yada. Well, even if that was that type of culture. And even if it was 2000 years ago, um, I don't know that that necess that it necessarily follows um, that because that was the culture or because um, whatever else you said that, that that bears anything to the truth of the claim. Right. And um, so, yeah. So, okay, I guess follow-up question. Do we, can we trace back to who these, like, who these people were? Like, do we know their, do we know their names um, or anything about them? Which, are you specific, are you talking about the apostles? Uh, yeah, the, the, the ones that believe uh, uh, they saw Jesus. Like, do we have 
their 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 names and do we know specifically who who they are right um i think you'd have multiple lines of source material that would show that these guys were historical sure yeah uh, i think um paul in first corinthians 15 uh paul in galatians 1 and 2 um paul in corinthians chapter yeah well it's still first corinthians um first do, Corinthians chapter 1 15 okay. um, do we have sources outside the bible that confirm these people saw jesus uh after he was dead why do i need sources outside the bible because i i, I mean i personally don't uh believe the bible's true i mean are there aspects of it that have uh truth in it yeah but i i wouldn't use the or consider the the bible to be a reliable source um now let's say it is a reliable source i i would think this would be a scenario where we need more than one source um do we have uh any historical evidence outside of the bible that will show hey these people saw this um you know does it have their their names anything about them outside of like just referring to them as apostles um okay so it, it seems like and you'll have to um uh, help me out here um so so first you're you're asking the question if it's not reliable is there anything outside of it that would say that these are um real people historical truths is that what you're asking or you're asking if they saw Jesus raised from the dead do okay i guess do we have additional sources outside of the bible you know like pretend we're fact checking here we we don't just go to you know snopes.com and believe that they're accurate all the time you know we, we gotta look at other other sources and see if these accounts line up like okay we have uh uh the romans said this in these historical documents uh the mm -hmm. bible states this then uh these people over here state this like are we able to talk like do we have information from other civilizations in that area that can also verify that information that's in the bible Okay, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to be um, super no nitpick, uh, man. I you don't anything like that. I'm, I'm trying to nail down what you're. I guess I'm not hearing you correctly. Are you trying to ask the question? Do we have any sources outside of the Bible that show that these guys were apostles? Or are you saying do we have any information outside the Bible that would suggest that um, you know these guys? uh saw jesus raised from the dead i i, I guess uh, a few things here do we have sources to verify that one these people are who who they say they are like okay i i know you're dean meadows i can verify that with your right. life with facebook do we have a way to verify that the, these apostles were indeed real credible people right and we know who they were Outside. Right. So I would say there are at least two sources outside of that. Um, one would be Clement of Rome and the other one would be Polycarp um, that are early second century. 
Um, I would say you've got um, Josephus that speaks about Jesus and his brother James. Um, you've got um, what else? As far as uh, Christianity goes, you've got the uh, Patric the early church fathers. You've got um, that's as far as I go right now. I mean, you've got also just as far as Christianity in general. Um, you've got Tacitus that talks about Christianity. Um, but I still think so. Those are some outside sources about Christianity in general. I know you weren't asking that, but I'm making that as a supplication. Okay. Uh, and some of the, and some of the uh, main players, so to speak, of the early Christian movement. Now, within these documents, you do have separate sources that attest to um, these individuals. So, and, and I like to bracket this off in three sections. Um, the first section would be the synoptic gospels, which would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay. Then you have John, which is structured differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have the writings of Paul, which are different than the synoptic gospels and John. So you have three um, seemingly independent sources uh, that attest to these characters. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mention all these, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention all these characters. John mentions all these characters. And then you have Paul who in first Corinthians chapter one mentions a couple of characters, namely Peter and Jesus. And then in first Corinthians 15, he's right relaying an early oral creed that mentions uh, these characters. Now, so, if you take, Real quick, if you take these, go ahead. If you take the synoptics and John to be uh, anonymous, and you say, "Well, we don't know who wrote these," well, then you still have uh, three authors that are synoptic authors that mention these people, and then you have a um, unidentified author in John who mentions all these people, and then you have Paul. Do so, we have any, yeah. or, or I guess my um, jumping back to something you said uh, just a moment ago, are these all Christian sources? So, and and that's the other thing that I would mention. Yes, they're all Christian sources, but um, that would be like asking, I want to know something about um, the Gallic Wars or the Civil War. And here's the kicker. Uh, you can't use any sources um, outside of the union or inside of the union army for me to know anything about the union army, you'd be appealing to a prejudice. Um, or if you wanted me to know facts about, you know, Roman figures, you know, am I allowed to use Roman sources to know facts about Roman figures? I think I should be. Um, why can't I do the same thing? Why wouldn't I be allowed to do the same thing for Christianity? If I'm just using those sources as ancient documents, if I don't look at inerrancy, if I don't look at it as divinely inspired, and I just look at it like I would look at anything else from um, history. I don't. Okay. I don't, go ahead. Do you? Okay. Um, do you? Uh, I guess agree or disagree that they, since this is all coming from from Christian sources, that they would have. I'm not saying they did, but they have more motivation 
um, to get behind the story versus somebody outside of the Christian movement that could corroborate this. Like right. to, to me, this is this is a Jesus resurrecting from the dead. I mean, that's a huge claim, Dean. That's I agree. And I would I, I would think the best thing to do would be like, hey, um, we need to look outside of Christianity to verify this, to ensure that we're getting the most accurate information. I mean, I would think a man resurrecting from the dead, even that long ago, that would spread like wildfire. And, you know, people out, out, out outside of his followers would be recording this. Is it recorded, you know, outside of the Bible or with other, other, you know, other groups uh, of humans? Right. So you you made a statement there in the beginning when which you said it seems like they'd be more motivated to get behind this. Um that seems to be that seems to be a I don't know, I, I guess when it comes to authors of history, and I could I could be wrong on this. Um one, everybody has a bias that writes history. Right. So one author really? of Reagan's biography mentions uh, gives donates a whole chapter to his divorce before he was married Nancy Reagan. Another author says uh, Ronald Reagan was divorced and that's all you see of it. Well, why is that? Uh, well, it's because there's different motives and different, different uh, agendas of what they're trying to bring out. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily know that I, I like the idea of saying, um, well, you know, uh, this was, you know, wouldn't they be more motivated to get behind uh, the agenda or get behind the the Christian movement? Now, I guess my second question is, I, I think I think I'm hearing you, and I don't know that you're saying this, but I think I'm hearing you convolute two different things. Okay. If you're asking, do we have outside sources with regards to the movement of Christianity? Then, yeah, we do. We've got Tacitus, Suetonius. Uh, Marabar Serapian. Not uh, that can, sorry, not that can verify like Christianity, but that can verify that uh, Jesus was re resurrected from the dead. Um, no, I not that I that not that I know of. I don't know of any extra biblical text that suggests that Jesus was uh, Jesus rose from the dead. There's one passage by Josephus, but it's it was interpolated by Christians, meaning Christians went in and they, they changed, they messed with the document. So I don't, I don't adhere, um, to that statement made by Josephus. So, okay. So, um, but you can still take texts from within a movement and, and, I, and verify I, historical events. Right. I would just think with something as big as this, like, I mean, Dean, I, I, if I right now called you and I said, hey, my brother Brent has come back to life. He's been resurrected. And my mom, my brother, all, everyone in my family corroborates it. Are you going to believe that? Well, we I, I would take a outside so, family. So run that by me again. Sorry. If your brother did what? If my, my brother uh, gets Right now, I call you and I say, "Hey, my brother uh, has been resurrected from the yeah. dead," and my 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 family, no one else outside of my family can mm -hmm. corroborate this, but my entire family does. Are you going 
to accept that. Now, I guess to to I guess to try and explain what I'm trying to say here is if my entire family corroborated that I had a thousand dollars in my pocket, that's that's not really a big claim. You'd probably accept that, right? It it may be a big claim if I'm if I value a thousand dollars a lot, but I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, it's not, it's not as big a claim as my brother rose from the dead. I see that. Right. Okay. So, so just point by point, um, number one, uh, I would be, um, I guess how I would say it, um, epistemically neutral as far as my knowledge claim that this happened, I would be neutral. I wouldn't, I wouldn't start out with saying, well, you know, that's obviously ridiculous. That wouldn't happen. I would say, okay, Ethan, that's a very interesting claim. Um, I would definitely love to investigate that further and talk with your family about, uh, you know, separately, you know, and talk to them about what they experienced and what they saw. And I talked to you about um, what you saw, what you experienced. That's what I would expect. Real quick, if that checked out, I don't see why I don't have good grounds to accept that testimony if it checks out, even if it's just within your family. But right now, the there's a there's a big difference here. You are you know talking to me right now. You can actually come talk to my family. You can come uh, verify this for yourself. Like like all right, show show me him. Like it's yeah. really easy now. If but isn't that the you, fault of your analogy, <laughs> if you couldn't. Okay, if you couldn't corroborate this with anyone outside of my family, and if you couldn't see it, if you didn't see him, a recent picture of him or anything, right. would you accept my claim that my brother resurrected? So if nobody outside corroborated it, and then inside your family, what happened? Uh, my entire family will corroborate it. But uh, but I no, never saw a picture I, of him? You've never seen a picture of him resurrected? Uh, like y- you have seen no other data that would lead you to, you know, to believe he's been resurrected. Like you can't go on Facebook and check his Facebook profile. You can't right. come to my house and see him. So outside of us just telling you this, is this something you would accept? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily know why I would have to see his face to gain or, or draw the conclusion that he rose from the dead. I'm sure that in the course of me interviewing your family, they may say something about it. Um, but couldn't you still establish that your brother rose from the dead, even if uh, I didn't see a picture of him? It seems like to me, like you could have all the facts laid out and there could be a preponderance of evidence that would show that it happened it would be foolish for me to say, well, I've never seen a freaking picture of your brother. So therefore, even though the preponderance of evidence points to his resurrection, I deny it because I've never seen his Facebook. Okay. So then I guess, let me, let me uh, ask this. What evidence would you uh, need to believe my brother has just been resurrected from the dead? Um, I really want to be sarcastic right now, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm going to, I'm going to refrain. Um, so I would say, uh, good, uh, eyewitness testimony, uh, would, would be, would be good that, um, cooperates as I separate, as I parsed out your story. Um, 
I don't necessarily need every story to line up perfectly, but I want to know, and this is what, what cops do. I want to know what the core data points are, if there are any that line up. So um, I would take, take that, the cooperating data from your, from your parents. I wouldn't, your parents, your other siblings, if you have any, um, you, I'd want to talk to you. And then I would say, okay, well, are there any explicit contradictions in the story? Are these eyewitnesses trustworthy? Um, you know, I, I guess the same criteria that I would have for the resurrection of Jesus, except I would alter it a little bit because we would be person to person talking. So I, I guess that's where maybe you and I are a little bit uh, different. Um, let's say, you know, uh, one of your family members passed away and everyone in your family corroborated that they've been resurrected. I have no, we have no history um, I, that a person can be resurrected from the dead. Um, and in fact, I think we could prove it's highly unlikely. So I would see no reason to accept such an astronomical claim simply based on eyewitness accounts. Right. So, so because there's a claim that you have never seen, um, you would not accept eyewitness testimony about that claim is what you're saying about something that this, like there are things I will accept eyewitness testimony on, like, you know, the, the, um, in proportion to like, if your entire family told me you just bought a house, I have examples of other people buying homes. It's not sure. hard to believe that, okay, you bought a home, Dean. Sure. But to say that you can accept a resurrection simply based off eyewitness testimony seems almost like failing as a skeptic. Um, I don't see how it's failing as a skeptic to take uh, good historical data and draw a conclusion to the best explanation. That's what I, historians do that all the time, regardless of, uh, regardless of, and it just seems to me, um, good historical data, good historical evidence, even if it's 2000 years ago, uh, doesn't become bad historical evidence with the passage of time. I, um, so, so I, yeah. I, so I've, I haven't really been reading the comments, but this one actually did just, uh, uh, catch my eye. Uh, right now, eyewitnesses can't even agree on whether police identify themselves before knocking down the door to Brianna Taylor's home. Um, and I, I, I think what Kenneth's trying to point out here is that eyewitness accounts are notoriously unreliable. In yeah, in certain situations they are unreliable, but in a lot of other situations, eyewitness testimony is what put, puts people away from twenty-five to life. That's true. So, I mean, um, you know, Tim McGrew has, and I wish I could pull it up. I don't know if we have time for me to look for it. Tim McGrew has 
um, a document from the 20, from 2018. It's, it's an eyewitness. It's like it's some type of eyewitness testimony document that says these are the following scenarios and circumstances uh, that produce bad eyewitness testimony. And uh, maybe I'll look for it and we can talk about it in the after party. But um, uh, it, it, it seems to me that while there might be times where eyewitness testimony is bad, eyewitness testimony also can and has put a multitude of people away for life for a crime they committed. Um, right. But so, so here's the thing. So you can't, I don't know that you can just say, you know, carte blanche. Uh, eyewitness testimony is, uh, you know, bad um, because of this incident that's just taken place with Breonna Taylor. Um, that, that to me doesn't seem to have any weight on whether or not the documents from 2000 years ago are historically accurate. So, um, just because a set of eyewitnesses is bad in one scenario, it doesn't necessarily follow that it's bad in another scenario. No, but I think it's a pattern, particularly because I, um, there's, uh, sorry, let me just confirm this. There's, it's estimated that, uh, 2.3 to 5% of all U S prisoners are, are innocent. And you know, I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet. People were put in there based on eyewitness testimony, um, which at times later gets, you know, uh, overturned, uh, because we have proof that eyewitness testimony can be unreliable. And that being sure, said, it can be, but the question is, is it here? In, okay, go ahead. Drawing, drawing a line between, for example, someone seeing a, a someone with a gun or seeing someone walk into a store versus somebody getting resurrected. Again, those are two, in my opinion, huge, uncomparable things. Now, if we know eyewitness testimony, it can be unreliable why would we rely on it for uh such a large claim right so once again you can still rely on eyewitness testimony even if two to three percent of prisoners are innocent because of bad eyewitness testimony um so i i mean i don't know what else to say outside of outside of that um with regards to eyewitness testimony, the question is not, uh, even if it is the case that eyewitness testimony is, is notoriously bad, you still have to go through the documents of history and, and determine whether or not these particular documents demonstrate bad eyewitness testimony. That's the burden of proof that you would hold in this scenario. If you say, well, you know, eyewitness testimony is really bad. Okay. Well then you have to walk through, walk through the evidence that, uh, for the resurrection and say that qualifies as really bad eyewitness testimony. And until you could do that, then you can't just carte blank say, well, eyewitness testimony is historically bad. I, I'm just saying I relying on eyewitness testimony for something we have never seen in the history of this world doesn't seem like doesn't seem like a reliable uh, reason to believe. Like I 
if I want to accept something that big, I'm going to look for other things, like not just eyewitness testimony. Well, what else would you look for? Well, uh, to finish my point, particularly because that's all we have. And to me, eyewitness testimony isn't enough to accept that 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 claim. We're again, we're, we're not talking about someone stealing a bag of popcorn here. Right. We're talking about something that's never happened before and can be proven to be pretty much impossible. We have no way to resurrect people from the dead, even with today's scientific advancements. And the if this was all done by people who believed in him and believed he had these like gifts and powers, wouldn't they be more likely to lie about it? Why would they be more likely to lie about it? What what would be the motivating factor for them to lie? Okay, I, I let me let me correct that. Get du- versus lie, get duped. Because if you're already believing that, hey, this person here, like, for example, if I'm already believing that witches can put a curse on me, I'm more likely to see, I mean, that happened to me. I challenged witches to put a curse on me. And what happened later that day? Several things. Now, <laughs> seriously, Dean, I, there were several things that not only happened the day I asked for witches to put a hex on me, but in the weeks following, it was some of the worst weeks of my life. Now, I still, if I was to, I, I think me talking about that is what gave it more, I'm trying to think of how to word this, what gave it more power. Like I was now fixating on all like the possibility of these negatives happening. So I was seeing it in everything, every little thing that happened in my head. I'm like, Oh, well, I did ask for witches to curse me. It must be because of that. And and that's what I mean by the bias they have. If they have already seen this person perform these alleged miracles mm-hmm. in the back of their mind, they're already thinking, wow, this person is supernatural they could just see somebody walking past them that looks like Jesus and automatically assume right. that Jesus rose from the dead. Do, well, do you think that you have any, I mean, historical, do you have any historical data that would suggest that they saw somebody walk by them and they say, Oh, well that must uh, be Jesus, but it really wasn't him. Do you have any historical data for that? Why would I need well, history? Have any historical data? Um, you know what? I guess my question is what what would make you think that um, maybe not that they were lying, but what what evidence would you have historically that would cause you to say, yeah, they were totally duped? I, so I want to be clear. I'm not saying they were for sure duped. I just okay. don't uh, feel like I'm willing to accept I eyewitness testimony for the resurrection of, of Jesus. There just doesn't seem to be anything of and anything like anything of merit or believable where I'm like, wow, yeah, that's that's convincing. Like okay, well a, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Um, a few people that we can't verify were even real human beings outside of the Bible stating that 
a resurrection happened seems highly unlikely. Wait, 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 wait. We just went through at the beginning of this conversation about the resurrection. We just went through non-biblical sources that pointed out people that are involved in these in these in these stories. Let me correct myself. Non-Christian sources. We we went through non-Christian sources that, that verified that they Josephus Josephus, you said that they didn't even exist. You didn't say that they had these experiences. You said that these people didn't even exist. Well, you've got Clement and Polycarp that are direct disciples of Paul and John. You've got Josephus that talks about Jesus himself and Jesus's brother, James. Those are at least three pillars of the church right there. Okay. And if the documents, if you believe the documents of the New Testament are anonymous and they're not written, by the names that give them the names that are attributed to them. Well, then you have anonymous sources. Obviously I wouldn't classify them as non-biblical, but you have at least anonymous sources. You don't put their name attached to it to talk about these guys as well. And you accept anonymous sources? No, I mean, I don't say that I don't, are you, I don't say that the texts are actually anonymous, but I think that even in anonymous sourcing, uh, you could still, you could still make a historical case for their existence. Even today, you get anonymous tip letters about certain things all the time, and cops follow up on that stuff about where to go and what to do and who to talk to, and what happened. Yeah, all but an anonymous tip, which can be investigated, we I don't see any way we can, especially again because we have no other examples of, of resurrections. It, it just seems. Well, that wasn't the question that you asked. You talked about people who were claiming the resurrection, not being historical figures. Okay. So do we, they are, from my understanding, they are anonymous, correct? Who? Sorry. The apostles. The apostles are not anonymous. They're named in the text of scripture. Right, but they're not their real names, correct? What? I, I thought, uh, and maybe I'm mixing this up here, uh, but I thought the uh, uh, um, uh, Mark, Paul, Matthew. I, okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. Now, those are claimed to be anonymous, right? Okay. Um, I would I would even go as far as to say uh, that the majority of New Testament scholars believe those t those documents to be anonymous. Okay. Right. Um, so, and 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 my point is, while I think that there's a good case for them to be who they are, um, I, I and maybe I'm just the black sheep apologist out here in the, in the, in the, in the, on the internet. I don't know. I could be, um, but I don't know for me, it doesn't really, uh, if we're just looking at ancient documents and I don't assign inerrancy or inspiration to them. Um, uh, if I'm just looking at them as ancient documents, I, I don't know that I particularly, particularly care if they're anonymous or not. I don't know that I care. Why? Because I can still get core historical truths from anonymous documents. Okay. So, 
Yeah, I'm having, uh, I'm definitely having trouble with this one here. I, I'm not seeing a, uh, I'm not seeing a convincing reason to believe. Um, but that being said, do you want to move into the after party now? Um, what time are you trying to start the after party? We can start it right now. Give me five or six minutes to reload on coffee, if that's okay. Sure. Um, the everyone, if you look at the uh, YouTube right now, I added a StreamYard link to both the description of the video, and I just put a link in the comments. So anyone who wants to come talk to Dean and I, we're going to go live in less than 10 minutes, feel free to, like I said, click the link in the comments or click the link in the description of the video. Uh, and we'll continue, uh, this topic in an after party. Uh, Dean, what do you got going on and where can everyone check you out at? Oh, um, I've got a YouTube channel called the daily apologist. Uh, also you can have, you can go to the daily We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, now we even do Pinterest. You're on Pinterest? Uh, yeah. TikTok. All of it's most of it is uh, just the daily apologist. The Twitter handle is daily underscore apologist. And that's where you can check me out. Awesome. Well, Dean, uh, thanks for letting us, uh, you know, thank you for letting me switch this from a debate to more a formal uh, discussion. I really enjoyed this. And not, uh, not a problem. And um, if you ever want to set up a, another conversation maybe with you again or with somebody else that's in the comment section about any of this stuff, I'd be more than happy to do it. I enjoy it. Yeah. I would like to continue this with you again, but uh, everyone, like I said, uh, if you want to go ahead and join the after party link is both in the description of the video and in the comments section. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Please make sure you like and subscribe. Um, IQ. I, I hope your family feels better. SJ, same thing. I hope your son stay, stays healthy. I hope you both stay, you and your husband stay healthy and uh, everyone be safe out there and we will see you in less than 10 minutes. All right. All right. Later. Good night. Thanks.